Welcome to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series features founders, investors, and legal talent that will help you embrace technology and transform your organization for a better future. This series is hosted by Natalie Pierce, the chair of Gunderson Detmer's Labor and Employment Law Practice. Natalie and her guests are committed to helping you develop new playbooks to elevate your game. Hey, this is Natalie, and I'm thrilled to welcome our next guest, CEO of Notco, Matthias Muchnik. Notco is among the top companies tackling alternative proteins for consumer products. Notco's proprietary artificial intelligence technology, Giuseppe, matches animal proteins to their ideal replacements among thousands of plant-based ingredients. In 2021, Notco reached unicorn status with its Series D led by Tiger Global and included a laundry list of celebrities, including Lewis Hamilton and Roger Federer. Industry partners like Shake Shack and investors from their previous rounds, including Bezos Expeditions, SOSV, Kazek, and more. Mateus, welcome. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> you know, I've just name dropped the who's who <laughs> of investors in your last rounds. Yep. How did Notco get in front of some of these high profile investors? I would say there's a great combination between, you know, uh, luck and uh, fearless, you know, <laughs> you know, fearless, you know, energy to find those guys that really we thought that they were going to move the needle on the trajectory of the company. I have a great, you know, story behind how we got to Jeff Bezos, you know, basically Kazakh Ventures, who were our first lead round investors. Um, they're the biggest VC in Latin America. They they do every two years a program in Stanford. And, you know, I met a professor over there. And basically, his name is Jonathan. He ended up being an advisor of Notco. And he actually asked me a question in his office saying, hey, Matias, so if you think about one investor in the world uh, that you would like to have in Notco, who would that be? And I was like, Bezos. I, I think I took literally less than a second. Mm, oh, I love this story. <laughs> yeah. So, and he was like, and he said, well, Let's find out how to get him. And uh, he started like Googling certain stuff. And he was like, after four minutes of researching Google, he was like, this is your lucky day. Like literally Melinda Levinson, who leads Bezos Expeditions, used to be, you know, a student with me in Cambridge. No uh, way. And, well, exactly. That was my reaction. No way. I probably F-bombed something right there, you know, but yeah anyway it was like no way and he said yeah I'm gonna send an email to her you know I'm gonna call her and tell him tell her a little bit about Nodco and if this would be of interest of you know Jeff Bezos and his family office he literally calls it right there in front of me and uh she said yeah let's coordinate a call with not with with Matias and, and learn about Nodco a little bit more and literally in the same week I, I would say you know the, the next day I was on a call with Melinda, I took one hour oh, and, he, and she was like, this sounds incredible. I'm going to present it to Jeff. And if Jeff is okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to invest. I couldn't believe it at that. Even, even already just giving a pitch to Melinda was incredible. And that Jeff was going to know about Notco was already incredible as well. So I get literally two days later an email 
um, saying, Matias, Jeff, love this. Uh, we're going to invest. Matias, yeah. yeah. Things don't happen like this normally. <laughs> That's, That's incredible. Well, you know, you know what, Natalie? I think they they happen more often than one would tend to think. I've had many conversations with other founders as well, and at the end of the day, when you think hard enough and you execute, the, you know, good businesses and you have great visions, I think you are able to attract the attention of who you really want. Um, it's a matter, you know, everything, when you're very well connected, when you start off, you may be in a trajectory of Notco that we got, you know, Catholic Ventures, the founders of Mercado Libre, the biggest PC, you know, the biggest company in Latin America. When you get to them, you're able to get to Andreessen, to Sequoia, you know, have direct, you know, meetings with Doug Leone or Jeff Jordan or, you know, Ben Horowitz. And that keeps on kind of like rolling on, on, on like a, a snowball of connections and networking. And at one point you're able to access who you really want. It's a matter of partnering up with the right people since the early days. I think that's absolutely key. Well, what I'm what I'm getting uh, from you is absolutely how important it is to have your brilliant concept, to have that fearless energy that you talked about, and then the connections. Uh, and uh, and voila, um, you can reach unicorn status in the way that you have. <laughs> it, it takes a little bit more more than that. I mean, you know. Even even the, the obsession, I, I really dislike the obsession of becoming a unicorn. The unicorn should be the consequence of on building great businesses, right? If you're a unicorn, fantastic. But let's not obsess since the get-go to become a unicorn. I think that's where many founders actually fail because they end up doing uh, startups and creating startups for the wrong reasons, you know? So we need more founders that are doing this for the right reasons for, you know, to comply with a vision of changing the world. And if you're doing that and you're being consistent on the numbers, on the growth, you know, in your, in your PNL, that's how you change the world. Not with a romantic speech, not with, you know, trying to become a unicorn. I think the consequence of becoming a unicorn is great, but the, the, the nature of what a founder should be looking at is the execution of what you're trying to do and really, you know, kind of like change the world, right? Mateus, that's such sage advice. And I want to, let's go ahead and turn to that about uh, having this vision of, of changing the world uh, and your, your passion and where you've been able to, uh, to take your company um, it it starts right with mm-hmm. uh, with a, the history. So prior, you know, prior to starting Notco, you launched a company uh, with eggless mayonnaise. Um, yeah. Let's go back to there and talk about some of the lessons learned from that company that that yeah. in the end brought you to Notco. You're making me go to those days of the garage starting, <laughs> oh. right? So. We started off a company with a friend of mine uh, from university. So we were two finance majors. It, it, we, you know, it had really nothing to do with what we, you know, studied, right? So, um, yeah, we were two finance majors trying to disrupt the food space. Um, why did we start a vegan company? Uh, we started a vegan company because we understood that the next generation of consumer were was going to change dramatically in what they actually want, right? It's not just a taste anymore. It's not just convenience. It's about sustainability. It's about global warming. 
It's about the efficiency in the use of resources. Is the, is the amount of water, energy, land that you put into you know, the system in order to create the nutrition to distribute to the world. It's, it's, it's way more than that. We were guys who really kind of like, you know, went to, 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 to dinner with our parents and we would eat anything that was on the table and maybe questioned nothing, right? And you had to eat everything because mm. you didn't get dessert, you know, otherwise. So the thing yeah. is, you know, this new generation was going to change their ways. They were, they had access to Netflix. They had, you know, social media in a way that we never did. So they were able to actually see what is the real consequence of food, right? So conspiracy was coming out, fed up, you know, the top documentaries are, were, you know, food related documentaries. So we said, listen, things are going to change and it's not going to be only, you know, a niche of people. It's going to be literally, you know, a whole generation of consumers that will change the behavior of even the purchase intent, right? So, mm-hmm. so we said, okay, what is it? So we took the animal out of the equation. Now, we had no idea what we were doing, right? We had no idea how to formulate a product. We just, you know, got into internet. We literally, we went into Alibaba and we bought machinery from China, installed it in my friend's house. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we were the cooks. We were the guys who capped the bottles, who put the stickers on the bottles. Uh, we took, you know, the, the cases in the back of our trunks and we drove into the supermarkets, put the product in shelves. Like we did absolutely everything. So this was literally the, the garage story. And we were serving Walmart. It's not that we were serving, you know, kind of like the mom and pop store of, 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 the, of the corner, right? We were serving Walmart from the, my friend's house. We learned a ton on operations and I learned specifically a ton on what was broken in the food system. So when we decided to do food, we hired a food R&D company. So a research and development company that created food formulations for big companies as well. So what we did was basically say, hey, we want a necklace mayo. And what they did was incredible. And that's where I saw the real problem. Food R&D is three guys in a lab coat in an experimental kitchen doing trial and error and reading research papers of 1970s on how to apply soy to replace animal-based ingredients. And that was it. So the technology and the, and, and the science behind this amazingly powerful industry was absolutely broken and obsolete. So the food system has been operating for the last 50 years under a very obsolete technology. And that's why the consequences are so vast. We have a food landscape that's sucked that you know, we had a population that seven out of the 10 leading causes of death were diet-related diet diseases. And where you know, the, in, the food industry became the major environmental ill known to humankind. You know, deforestation, land use, water scarcity, ocean depletion, loss of species, you name it, right? And we were right. doing nothing about it. So it was like, okay, this is where we need to disrupt. This, this is not about an industry, it's about technology behind an industry. And that's how I created kind of like the first concepts of Notco. I ended up selling that company, going to the U.S., you know, studying at Berkeley, relating myself a lot with the biochemistry department to really understand what was behind, what were the capabilities of science and technology to disrupt the food you know, space. Because food was kind of like the poor brother of pharma. Pharma was doing incredible stuff. Very sophisticated, you know, machinery, very good people behind it, a lot of investment. This was the time that CRISPR was coming out. So imagine how everyone was embedded in gene editing. It was incredible. And so so I got kind of like the first nuances of not go throughout. This is the technology we need to be applying to the food system if we really want to change it in a global scale. Oh, gosh. You know, to, to just 
look at it through that lens and say, why are we broken? It, it, we've got obsolete technology that's been used for decades. And, and that that gets us to what I I really want you to explain to our audience is th- this catalyst to all your consumer products like not milk and not burger, mm-hmm. which is Giuseppe, your yeah. artificial intelligence engine that really studies yeah. these infinite combinations of plants and can replicate and improve animal products. Can you tell us how was that developed? How long did it take and what's the future of your technology? Yeah. Sure. It's it's so. This was a a, a crazy uh, at that moment of time a, a very crazy approach. It was like, how do we create a technology that would allow us to first understand what we eat? So one of the biggest problems in the food industry is that we don't understand what we eat. I mean, we don't understand how to really describe in data what milk is or what a piece of beef is, uh, you know, and, and and so on. So first, we needed to understand the food that we like to eat. Right yeah. at a molecular level, physical chemical, spectral, like w- what are those data points? What is the sources of data? What are the dimensions of data that are going to describe what a product is? Once we understand it, we will be able to replicate something. Because if you don't understand something, you can't mimic it, right? No way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so then there, you know, the, the, the nuance of there's more than 300,000 species of plants in the world, and we have no idea what they can do. We have no idea if the combination of pineapple and cabbage can create the taste of milk, for example. Um, That's humans, right? But an algorithm would be able to actually understand that the chemical interaction between those components generate lactones, right? And that could really, you know, kind of like deliver the taste of milk in a plant-based world. So it's like, okay, here we have something, right? We have a super-powered artificial intelligence algorithm that is allowing us to predict which combination of plant-based ingredients should result in the same sensory experience as a target product that generally is animal-based, right? So the algorithm comes up with different formulations and recipes, different processes attached to the recipes that, you know, we have 15 chefs that work in the artificial intelligence department that basically put into the test all of the formulations that are coming out. And then we have a train panel, a sensorial train panel that is feedbacking the algorithm with, with, with data, right? So we feedback the algorithm with data, and that allows us to really make the algorithm more intelligent. Because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is making a technology that is understanding the underlying patterns between the molecular components in food and the human perception of taste, texture, smell, and color. So at the end of the day, you're hacking the human brain in understanding why we like the things that we like. Once you have that, and this is an, you know, a nonstop process. We're feedbacking the algorithm until today. I mean, of course, we started six years ago, yeah. but we've been training this algorithm for the last six years. And as we developed a company that was very tech-based, the incredible thing is that we thought at the very beginning, uh, and we were right, that the biggest problem was formulating a product, which is a big problem, right? Yeah. Um, but then we realized that there's many other problems as well, you know, scaling up, how molecules behave in, you know, big batches in machinery of one ton versus 3,000 metric tons, right? Uh, it's, it's a total different behaviors of the molecules. So we started to understand that, you know, we were, a, we, we were needing to create other modules in the technology that would allow us to operate better, right? 
So this technology or this company was built to create food products faster, better, more accurate, less costly, more affordable than anyone else in the space. That's, you know, that's why we built the technology that we built. And that has allowed us to actually execute four, five different categories of products in seven different countries in only four years and a half of sales, addressing mass market, partnering up with Starbucks, with Burger King, with Papa John's, you know, in many categories of products and mm -hmm. ultimately partnering up with Kraft Heinz, right? And we can, you know, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, well, first off, <laughs> Mateus, before we move on, I have to ask, was your pineapple example, is, was that a real example? Yep. Oh my goodness. I mean, I just, I don't, I'm having, I'm having, yes, only an algorithm could figure that combination out, I think. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, okay, so, so let's, uh, seven countries, and you just uh, recently launched Not Burger into, into North America. Uh-huh. Can you talk about some of the challenges in, in entering this market? Yeah. So every category has their own challenges. Burger, particularly in the U.S., is, it's a category that has been developed. We have, you know, uh, challengers as, you know, Impossible and Beyond mm -hmm. and, you know, that have already explored, invested a lot behind the awareness, the marketing, and, and to really spread this product in the U.S. completely, right? Yeah, every every product has their 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 opportunities to to be better, right? Even ours, of course. I think we where 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 the opportunity lies is the categories is already created, but there is room to grow. And I'm gonna put an example of what we did in in Chile because we got around six percent of total market share of the burger category. Right. Incredible. Um, which none of these competitors have done in the US. Right. And, you know, taking a step back, you need to understand why people go to plant based. And there's many reasons. Now, more importantly, we need to understand why they withdraw from plant based. And it's only one factor, which is taste or experience. Mm -hmm. So our products really carry something that none of the rest carry. Notco, as a rule, you know, internally in the company, we have two things. So we're not going to launch any products if they're not statistically parity in overall preference with the product that you're trying to mimic. And we're not going to launch if we're not the best tasting product in the market that we're launching, right? So mm -hmm. you, can you can imagine that our burger <laughs> complies with those two factors. So we're putting a product in the market that the market hasn't seen before, which is something that complies and over delivers on the promise more than our competitors and at the right price. Because the price is one thing that really, really is important here. As we see the industry and specifically the burger is we see the Ivy, like the Ivy League versions of you know, the traditional food and not the sloppy joes that really, you know, in the mainstream market people love. Right. Mm -hmm. So we need to find out how to penetrate the market in a way that none of these challengers or the incumbents have done. So the rollout strategy of Notco has to do with that. And it's similar to what, you know, Oatly did with oat milk. I mean, oat milk existed for 40 years, 50 years, right? Even Oatly, you know, existed for 40 years. But 
they got into the, 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 the market with a new proposition, a better product that worked better in coffee, that was super challenging to, to, the, to the, even the challengers and the incumbents. And they created a new category. Right, which was mm-hmm. the cool oat milk. You know, we can do that in the burger. I, I especially believe that we, we are able to execute something like that versus all of the other companies that were launched before in this market. The thing that really struck me was how many consumers you had as a percentage of the market, and to be doing it in South America, where people love their meat. So. Uh, I think it's absolutely right. We have a lot of people who, um, and these these generations coming up who really do want to see change behavior and, and are passionate about doing what we can for the environment. But at the end of the day, the taste does matter. And for you to have, uh, again, that that share of the market in South America speaks volumes, I think, as to what is possible combined with combined with a greater affordability. Yeah. I, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see. <laughs> I can't wait to Me see. Me neither. <laughs> does. Yeah. It could be great. Matthias, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the expansion of the global workforce and how it's affected your business. With your latest rounds, you're focusing on deploying uh, funds for expanding into more markets such as North America. And at one point you were quoted as, and by the way, your company gets such great headlines. I haven't enjoyed reading the press, but at one point, you know, you were quoted as wanting to do an initial public offering in 2023. What have you seen as perhaps being some of the challenges with the explosive growth that you've seen and experienced? And what are you thinking in terms of that possible initial public offering next year? Yeah, I think uh, when I said that the markets were totally different than what they are right now, and the story you need to tell is a different one. It's not about or solely about growth anymore. It's about the story you have behind profitability, right? Because mm-hmm. there there has been, you know, the cost of capital today uh, and, and and we don't see things changing too much in 2023 is super high, right? So you're going to see valuations go down. You're going to see startups dying. Startups that were doing amazing in 2021, and now they cannot find the capital that that requires that high growth and that pace. So there is definitely a new era here. Hernan Casa pointed out, it was, this is a very Darwinian, you know, stage, Mm-hmm. Right. So, 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 you know, startups are going to, 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 to fail. Uh, you're going to see down rounds. You're going to see very nasty things that we don't like to see in the market right now. Uh, maybe I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being, you know, politically incorrect, but that's going to happen. Right. I think um, you're being real. You're being real. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so I think, I think that very few are going to survive. Those who are going to survive are going to have the chance to take more chunks of the market because there's going to be less competitors. Um, and those are the companies that manage capital better than the others and, and strategies better than the others. I think all of the good companies right now are rebudgeting uh, for this year, are sacrificing growth to mm-hmm. really you know, keep and conserve cash positions. And we're doing that as well. Even though we have you know, a lot of money in the bank, we're doing that uh, too. I think the discipline is, is something really relevant now and maybe wasn't before. So the market changed 
Uh, I don't keep the same idea of doing an IPO in 2023. We don't see the market, you know, good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we need to do it in 2024, 2025, fantastic. Uh, we're okay with that. So yeah. yeah, things changed for sure. So as things change, any, what are, so without, without an, an IPO necessarily in view for 2023, where do you see focusing your company? Like any new developments that you can share with our audience? Any new developments? Well, we always have new developments. Uh, you know, as I said, we we closed an amazing JVE with Kraft Heinz, where we're going to be launching, you know, platform, yeah. uh, versions of traditional Kraft Heinz brands. These guys have one of the most incredible and iconic brands in in the U.S. in the world. Yeah, you know, Philadelphia, Magalhães, Oscar Mayer, you know, many of them. So that's definitely going to, you know, we set up that JV to be launching the first product this year. So we, we are... Hot still, dogs? Mm, we, we'll see. I can't disclose right now. <laughs> I heard Oscar Mayer. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I can't disclose at this point in the time, but uh, we'll definitely have more news in the next couple of months. And as not goes down the road, we're launching in Latin America, you know, more categories for sure. It's three categories that we that we haven't launched before. So uh, we're going to test the market with three new categories and see if those you know, uh, are fit for the U.S. market uh, and Canada too. So North America. So yeah, we can disclose as you know as, as much as I would like because you know how it is. You know, competitors yep. are always hearing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm staying with that. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's fair. I have very much enjoyed our discussion and I would love for you, you've already shared quite a bit and would love for you to share some practical tips with other founders and leaders. Do you have advice for other innovators who are working to accomplish things that have never been done before? I I would have, so, so in, in a personal, in a kind of like approach, to everyone that's about to start something, I would recommend them to read the hard things about hard things, the book of Ben Horowitz. Um, I think that book is incredible. I think that book is gives you a sight of how difficult it is to, to, to build a startup, both in the professional personal life. So, you know, after reading that, you know, Make sure you analyze yourself very well um, if you're willing to go that path. Because I think everybody that really has had any success in, in the way that Ben Horowitz had success, then man, you're you're going through that too. So so that's that's a very important lesson for me, for sure. I think I know what I'm going to read this week. Thank you for the recommendation. Um, and you know, I I like to end by sharing a fun fact. So it could be a story or a movie, drink of choice, you name it. And and since you talked about us entering a Darwinian phase, and I, I do agree, the fun fact that I will share is that I have family in Ecuador and I've been to the Galapagos Islands several times. And while they are known for, um, for the studies that Darwin conducted after he first landed there at age 26, I believe, um, fewer of our listeners 
uh, will know that the Galapagos are also known as the Enchanted Islands and that they were used, that they used to be a place. I just recently learned this, that uh, pirates would hide their loot. Um, so that's my, that's my fun fact. Um, anything you're willing to share with our audience? Matthias? Sure. Sure. I think as, as, as everybody, everybody was kind of like curious why I was so obsessed with mayo at first, because I started egg this with mayo and not go with not mayo. Uh, yeah. And the, the fun fact is that Chile is the third, so I'm originally from Chile, and Chile is the third biggest mayo in the world per capita. We absolutely really? everything with mayo. We have no creative creativity at all. It doesn't matter what you know application of sauces you know you you require. It's gonna be mayo. So mayo is absolutely <laughs> everywhere, and you can actually research in Google something that is called completos. Completos are basically you know hot dogs, Chilean hot dogs. When and you'll identify why we're the third biggest mayo consumers in the world per capita. We put like literally you know half a kilogram of mayo in every single hot dog. It's It sounds super gross, but it's actually very, very, very tasty. But that's that's my fun fact. It is a gross fun fact, but it is what it is. Oh, excellent fun fact. I had no idea. All right, listeners, we have reached the end of this episode and we ask ourselves, why not? Uh, mm -hmm. As we continue to explore new health alternatives for the human diet, which in turn are healthy for our planet, NotCo continues its global takeover by delivering great products that also taste good. Thank you, Matthias, uh, for being with us. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, Natalie. Uh, I had a great uh, time as well. <laughs> good. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we welcome you to share this podcast with other professionals and to send us feedback or comments uh, at insights Thanks, everyone. You've just listened to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series is brought to you by Gunderson Detmer, the world's number one law firm representing venture capital funds and high growth companies. Join Natalie Pierce on our next episode as she and her guests help prepare your organization for the future. Please subscribe to the Future Work Playbook.